I told the folks at uh, 8 o'clock and I told Eli that, um, you know, I, I don't want to brag about how cool I am. But, you know, my coolness factor is just going to go up so high because on Saturday nights after I preach at 5 o'clock, I can't wait to get home to watch uh, Lawrence Welk with my wife, Kirsten. <laughs> and uh, whenever there's someone, you know, playing a vibraphone, it's just like all gravy. And so I got to watch Lawrence Welk last night, and then I get to worship God with all of you this morning and hear you play the vibraphone twice. Thank you. Today's uh, gospel reading is uh, from Matthew, and I know that most of you are familiar with these uh, first verses, uh, sometimes called the the Beatitudes, but um, I want you to listen really carefully to uh, the end of our reading today as the Lord Uh, tells us that we are blessed uh, for a very important reason. And so I'm reading now from uh, Matthew chapter 5, and I want you to listen to that last 16th verse. When Jesus saw the crowds, he went up the mountain, and after he sat down, his disciples came to him. Then he began to speak and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven, for in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. You are the salt of the earth, but if salt has lost its taste... How can its saltiness be restored? It is no longer good for anything, but is thrown out and trampled underfoot. You are the light of the world. A city built on a hill cannot be hid. No one, after lighting a lamp, puts it under the bushel basket, but on the lampstand, and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your lights shine before others, so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father in heaven. Brothers and sisters, this is the gospel of our Lord. Thanks be to God. Amen. So uh, how many of you were here at Faith over 10 years ago in 2008 when we hosted the annual convention of our uh, Lutheran church body? Were any of you a part of that celebration when about 200 congregations and their uh, representatives were part of of this fellowship where we hosted um, folks from all around the world. We've now grown to an association of over 900 congregations. What a difference 10 years can make. But at that 2008 convention, I was at the time serving on the board of trustees. And, uh, oh yeah, you kids should go back. Go on back to Miss Stephanie. It says it in the bulletin. Just go. Just go. Stephanie's waving. There you go. I'm sorry if you were polite and waiting for the pastor to tell you. 
So back in 2008, when I was serving on the board, um, we wanted to have a young man from the Barna Group. Have any of you heard of the Barna Group? They, they do great research, um, and it's accurate research. And the young man who came to be with us, uh, it really was prophetic. Uh, he said that, you know, for church bodies to be really ready and poised for effective mission and ministry in this new century, uh, you've got to take a hard look at church structures that are really top-heavy, denominational headquarters and, and bureaucracies, and then, and then rethink what you're doing with church structure because he said, you know, it's going to be a challenge in the 21st century. Even then he predicted that um, it wouldn't be uh, the world that many of us grew up in when it comes to uh, the Christian faith. And he was so right. Uh, some of those church bodies that still have massive um, bureaucracies at the regional and national level are suffering greatly. Uh, money is drying up and they're closing more congregations than they're starting. And it's not to brag or boast, but you know, God did a good thing with our association. Uh, we used to call ourselves a flat church body and people said, you know, that doesn't sound very good. Why don't you say horizontal? <laughs> instead of flat. And all that means is we're an association of congregations. We believe that the local congregation is where the work of the kingdom is done, not often some office, you know, where people are, you know, talking about church, but where people like you are actually worshiping God and going into the community and being the hands and the feet of Christ. And so that young man, I think, was even prophetic in what he told us back in 2008. Well, the same group, Barna, and if you want to check this out, if you want to verify what the pastor's telling you today, you can go to uh, the website Barna, B-A-R-N-A dot com, because they just released uh, a new study this last week. Did any of you see it? The Barna Group released a study on uh, the most post-Christian cities in the United States. Now, how do they define post-Christian? Uh, cities where people identify themselves as atheists, agnostics, or they haven't been in church for over a year and really don't intend to be in a church anytime soon. Not for a funeral, not for a wedding, not for Christmas or Easter. And so a hundred cities made the list of the most post-Christian. Thanks be to God, Albuquerque did not make the top of this list because we're number one in so many of those surveys that aren't so great. Am I right? But we were on the top 100 and we tied with Portland, Oregon. Uh, Barna has reason to believe, based on their research, that 42% of the people here in Albuquerque identify as atheist, agnostic, haven't been in church for a year, and really don't intend to come anytime soon. Now, that's really ironic, because when I meet young families that are moving here from elsewhere, they will comment, there's so many churches in Albuquerque, I can't drive two blocks without seeing another church on Juan Tabo, here on Spain, down on Eubank, Wyoming, Paseo del Norte, church, church, church. And it's, you know, one thing to have a lot of church buildings. It's another thing for there to be a lot of fully devoted followers of Jesus Christ who are part of those church buildings. Average congregation in North America today has 70 people, men, women, and children, if there are any children, in total attendance. Uh, last night we had about 100 people just at our Saturday service. Again, not to brag, but to give thanks to God that you know, somehow He is allowing us to continue leading people to Christ. 
And in a city where 42% of the people are atheist agnostic or haven't been in church for a year, you don't have to go to Africa, Central America. You don't have to go to Asia to be a missionary. You can be a missionary right here in your own backyard. And that's going to be our focus this morning as we meditate on what it means, having been blessed in Christ, to be a blessing to others. And so let's reconsider what's going on with Abraham and what our Lord tells us at the end of our gospel reading. Uh, God calls Abraham by name. That's how he called you in baptism. Uh, God blessed him. God blessed you in baptism. And God blessed Abraham for a reason, and God blessed you for a reason as well. To be a blessing to others. It was true for old Abraham. It's true for you and me. It's true for all the baptized. We who have been blessed in being welcomed into God's family, raised in the faith, having the knowledge of the Lord, uh, growing in our our wisdom, uh, spiritually speaking, we are to lead others to Christ. Remember that? It's our mission statement. That they might be blessed as we have been blessed with the good news of the Savior. At the very beginning of Christian life, in the words spoken at baptism, whether it's a young child or a 90-year-old woman, that newly baptized person is told, may your light so shine before others that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father in heaven. This reminds us through the mouth of Christ himself that we are not blessed by God in order to keep that blessing to ourselves and have a nice, tidy, neat, manageable relationship with our Heavenly Father without anyone coming in to enter the picture and make things challenging. Instead, you and I are blessed for a reason, to be a blessing to others. A few of you may remember when a very, very young Pastor Wilder ticked off more than a few people at Faith Lutheran during the season of Lent. I think I was 42 years old. And I said to everyone, let's all read A Purpose Driven Life for the season of Lent. Do you remember that? And people were none too happy with me, not because... They knew that the writer, Rick Warren, was a Baptist minister. Most people didn't even know that he's a Baptist serving a little congregation in California you may have heard of called Saddleback. But a lot of people were offended by the first four words in the opening chapter. It's not about you. See, so many people have been raised, you know, being told, it's all about you, sweetie pie. It is all about you, pumpkin. You're the center of mom and dad's universe. You're, you're just the most important person in the world. Well, Warren might have started his book in a way that was offensive or maybe even crude. But um, for those who were willing to finish reading the book and not just telling the pastor they read the first line and they're not going to read anymore... Um, I think Warren was saying things we could all say amen to. What he was trying to say, if you read the rest of the book, is that the purpose of life is bigger than ourselves. And if we're to have a truly meaningful, purposeful life, um, we need to be seeking the mind of Christ and the will of God, not just our own. Because I don't know about you, but I do know about me. And I can be quite selfish and quite narrow-minded But God calls me to have a broader vision and to think not just about my own pleasure and my own comfort, but about those around me and those who don't yet know Christ. I want you to 
Think on those words that were spoken at your baptism. Let your light shine. Why? That you might be the the brightest light, the most popular shining star in the crowd? No, it's not about you and it's certainly not about me. We let the light of Christ, we want the light of Christ to shine through us so people see something good and then do what? Praise us? No. Give glory to our Father in heaven. We want people to give glory to God that ordinary folks like you and me would take the time and spend the energy and, and make the commitment to, to care about them, to share the gospel with them. For, for young people to get on a bus and go up to hot, humid Pine Ridge, South Dakota in July to show what a great God we have. So when it comes to leading others to Christ, blessing them as we have been blessed, uh, I think there are some really important things to remember. And before I share with you some basics of evangelism, missiology, outreach, witnessing, whatever you want to call it, let me say that there is no one Uh, fail-proof formula, no one action plan that is 100% effective in each and every situation. That's because you, child of God, are absolutely unique. Your life story, your faith story is unique. How you were led to faith, how you've been challenged in your faith, how you persevere in the faith to this day, that's a unique story that no one else shares. And all the people that you might lead to Christ are equally unique. There are no cookie-cutter Christians. There are no cookie-cutter future Christians. Having a strategy that follows these four simple steps every time, these progressive phases, would be nice. But it doesn't work in every single circumstance. Because every encounter between a blessed believer like you and a yet-to-be-blessed future believer like those you might reach out to is unique. However, I think there are some things that are foundational and, and true in every situation where you might share your faith. Let's, let's think on these today. Prayer. I would, I would encourage you, before you think about sharing your faith with anyone to be praying for that person, maybe even days, weeks in advance. And as you pray for that person, you know, pray to God that he might use you according to his will, that you might be a useful tool in his hands. Our mission is about leading people to Christ who don't yet know him. They're in darkness. And so ask God to help you be a faithful light shining in the life of someone else. And if God... Uh, blesses a person in such a way that they come to know Christ like so many have been led to Christ uh, through the witness of this congregation. You pray for those people especially after their conversion or their new life because that's when the evil one really gets busy and goes on the attack. When people are living in darkness, the devil doesn't have much work to do as far as they are concerned. But when people come to know Christ, when they know how much God loves them, when they receive their, their their God-given dignity, you know, that Christ was willing to take my place on a cross, that Jesus thought I'm worth dying for. You know, people get self-worth and and the shame from the past can be erased. And and they're living a, a new reality with a brighter future. That's when the evil one gets busy. He wants to bring them down. He wants to extinguish that light. He wants to trip them up in their first few steps of walking with the Lord. So you continually pray for people. Secondly, 
there's this matter of authenticity. As I said, you have a faith story that is beautifully and authentically unique. It is your own. You know how you came to faith. You know all the ways through the years that your faith has been challenged. You know your mountaintops and you know your darkest valleys. That's part of your faith story. You don't need to share anybody else's story but your own. Be real. Don't be someone you're not. You know, authentic faith is articulated the same way on Tuesday morning and Thursday night as it is Sunday when you're in church. You don't have to use all kind of fancy words and some esoteric theological argument, you know, to impress other people. Did Jesus do it that way? No. He told stories, really beautiful, powerful, simple stories. And in each one of those stories, those parables, was truth a truth that could set people free. And I would do this if you're going to be an authentic witness. Don't hide the fact from your coworkers, your classmates, your neighbors, your friends you meet at the gym that you choose and make a point of worshiping the God, worshiping God on the Lord's day. This is part of who you are. It is the center of our rhythm of life as Christians. In fact, inviting someone to worship with you can be transformative because Jesus said, when two or more gather in my name, I show up. So you just think, well, I'm sitting in the place I always sit and Pastor Bruce is in the pulpit. David's playing the organ. Well, Jesus is here. This is his space. This is his time. This is his place. And countless people have told me how they have been blessed. Their hearts have been softened and their, their imaginations have been stirred just by being in God's house and singing the hymns. God uses worship in, in ways far beyond you know, our ability to comprehend. You might bless someone just by inviting them to, to worship with you and experience Christ in their midst. And then there's this important factor of respect. I would say if you're going to try and share your faith with someone, and I hope you do, Treat them the way you would want to be treated. Put yourself in their shoes. How would you want someone else to approach you, treat you, speak to you? Especially when it comes to something as huge as God. And this respect includes confidentiality. When people, when people meet someone who cares for them with the love of God in Christ... They might be moved to share very personal parts of their story with you, including the difficult parts. And that's a sacred trust, you know, not to be broken. Respect. I want to share with you a personal experience that goes all the way back to my youth, my high school years. It happened so long ago, but it feels like yesterday. Um, some of my classmates at my high school invited me to join them one Saturday morning. They all got together, this one group, they all went to the same non-denom church. Every Saturday morning, uh, one set of parents would cook the breakfast for all the kids, and then they'd be in Bible study till about noon. Now, I went to a different church. I went to a Lutheran church. And by the way, I went to that Lutheran church um, at least three times a week. Every Wednesday morning at 6 a.m. for breakfast and Bible study, uh, every Sunday morning, not once but twice, 
We'd hear the same sermon two times with Sunday school in between because we loved the traditional service at uh, 8 o'clock and we loved the, uh, the folk service later after Sunday school where we sang such contemporary Christian songs as Michael Rowe, The Boat Ashore. Remember that one? Um, and then we'd go back at Sunday night for more Bible study and, and youth group fellowship. And so I was really blessed when, oh, they're going to invite me to their Bible study. That's cool. I want to go see how they do it. And I found out later that they had all been there about an hour ahead of time uh, praying that that morning I would get saved. They set me up. You know, someone somewhere told them that, you know, those Lutherans, they're not really Christian. They're going straight to you know where. I felt disrespected. I felt set up. It was embarrassing. It was not a beautiful Saturday morning. Not once did any of those kids, some with whom I played sports, served on student council, played in the band, not as well as you, Eli. I mean, not one of them ever said, you know, Bruce, what's your relationship like, like with the Lord? Tell me about your faith in Jesus Christ. They just made an assumption, and out of that assumption came a very awkward situation for me and I didn't go back to that Bible study so I don't doubt that they were sincere but their sincerity could not make up for the fact that I felt totally set up don't set somebody up you know you treat them the way you'd want to be treated and when it comes to sharing your faith you do that with respect and and godliness and kindness and that relates to uh, something else see I trusted those classmates and they violated that trust but I went there because I trusted them. And even though so much has changed, you know, from the 1950s and 60s, when it comes to the lay of the land regarding the Christian faith here in North America, uh, this one thing has remained constant. The single most effective strategy for leading people to Christ is when someone they already know and trust shares their faith story with them. It's not when somebody cold calls on your door at 8 o'clock Saturday morning confronting you with the decision to accept Jesus or go straight to hell. I mean, do you want someone knocking on your door at 8 o'clock Saturday morning unannounced? Unless they're there to tell you you've just won the publisher's clearinghouse sweepstakes? <laughs> no, effective evangelism happens when someone that already knows and trusts you at work, you know, where your kids play sports, you know, where you go uh, and recreate, they trust you already. And when you dare to share your faith with them in a loving, respectful way, that has the, the best chance of leading someone to Christ who doesn't yet know him in the fullness of his love and mercy. And I would say this. The trust is not only the trust they already have in you, but you need to trust in God. Because God the Holy Spirit is ultimately responsible for all the witnessing and evangelizing that we might do. You know, we do our part to share the faith, but ultimately it's the Holy Spirit that will call, gather, enlighten, and sanctify that person in the one true faith. And, and even if it looks like someone is not responding the way you'd like them to respond, don't, don't doubt what God might be doing uh, beyond uh, the scope of your awareness. Let me just tell you really quickly. Um, there's a young man 
um, at the, the fitness center where Kirsten and I try to go and work out. And um, he's a big guy. And he's as big as I am, bigger. And um, boy, he's really got a foul mouth. I won't tell you what he says. Use your imagination. It's bad. And uh, when he sees um, women walk by, it's even worse. And uh, one day I just said, you know, you really shouldn't be talking like that. But why not? I said, well, because these women, they're all, they're all somebody's daughter. I got four daughters. Well, who are you? Well, my name's Bruce. What do you do? Well, I'm a pastor. Oh, well, if I'd known you were a pastor, I would have cleaned it up. And I said, no, you don't clean it up because there's a pastor lifting weights beside you. You shouldn't be talking like that. And we've continued the conversation. And now, you know, when he sees me coming, it's like, okay, time to talk sweet and nice. The pastor's here, but, you know, he's having his fun with me. But I've, I've been challenging him. And he told me that he listened to one of our sermons on the website. And he said, you know, it wasn't bad. <laughs> and I keep inviting him to come here and worship, and he keeps telling me, oh, you couldn't handle it, man. If I came in, you know, your ceiling would come crashing down. I said, I don't think so. My God is so much bigger and stronger than you are and you know one day he just might show up I'm gonna keep inviting him and rest assured that if and when he shows up I'm not gonna have him stand because I've already told you about him right that would violate trust but I'm working on it and listen commitment some people respond to the good news of Jesus Christ right away some of you my brothers and sisters can remember the year the month the day of the week the hour that you came to faith in Jesus Christ God bless you you were born again but some people it takes time the birthing process is longer it takes time for God to soften their hearts and stir their imaginations in order to lead someone to Christ you need to have some commitment you need to be in it for the long haul continue praying for them Continue being authentic. Continue respecting them, even if they don't respond favorably right away. It's so much more than just confronting. And that's what some denominations say, that it's every Christian's responsibility to confront people with the good news of Jesus Christ. How is good news confrontational? You know? Here, accept Jesus, or go to hell, and here's a brochure. I've seen those brochures on sidewalks and in trash cans. That's not the way Jesus did it. He talked with people, not at them. And not only did he talk with people, but he listened to them. Our mission is to lead people to Christ. And that means sharing our faith, but also listening to their hurts and their doubts, even their anger. I hope and pray that you'll think about those 42% of our population, that 42% who are atheist, agnostic, or really don't care about church. I imagine some of those people are already in your life, already in your sphere of influence. How might you, having been blessed by Christ, be a blessing to those people? For whom might you begin praying today? Who might you invite to worship with you before the summer's over? There are people who will not experience the power and the joy of the gospel unless someone invites them to do so. And you could very well be that someone. You could be the only one. So God give you and God give me 
a hunger, a desire, and a sense of obedience to be His witnesses in this city with so many lost souls. God has blessed you. God has blessed me. So much more than my deserving that we might be a blessing to others. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.